0: to you by Lifetree at paying ridiculous attention to Jesus.com. Again, my name is Rick. I'm author of the new book, Spiritual Grit, and the book, Jesus-Centered Life, and editor of the Jesus-Centered Bible. I bet you can see a thread. So we pay ridiculous attention to Jesus here, because that's all I can do anymore. I don't know if I've told the story in, in a long time about how all of this sort of thread started for me, but I was invited about 15 years ago to speak at a big youth ministry conference at Willow Creek Church just outside of Chicago, and they asked something unusual. The organizers asked me to do something a bit unusual. They they asked me if I would do a three-hour pre-conference session before the conference actually started, and then they asked me, could you do something you've never done before, something maybe more experimental that you've thought about doing but you've never had a chance to do? That's what we'd like you to do. Well, it just coincided with this intersection in my life of uh, I'd been training youth ministry people for years already, and I was I would speak at many different conferences and create our own trainings uh, around the country for youth pastors, and uh, I would say those were characterized by what you might typically find at any conference you go to not not just a ministry conference but any conference. Where you go to a breakout session and you're basically hearing uh, the tips and techniques of whatever that area is. Um, how do you do best? What are the best practices? And the really good speakers were the ones that seemed the most innovative in those best practices. Well, that's what I did for a, a long time. but I had slowly, almost imperceptibly gotten more and more bored with that whole approach. And it was happened so slowly I, I didn't really really recognize it right off the bat, but around the time the Willow Creek people called me, I thought I had been thinking about an an approach to ministry that I was calling Jesus-centered that I had never really fully fleshed out, and this gave me the opportunity to do that, so I tried to reimagine what ministry would be like if every single thing you did in ministry sort of all uh, tracked back to a deepening relationship with Jesus, no matter what it was. So I tried to imagine, what would that be like? How would you change the normal things you do? So then I went to Willow Creek, and I had about 30 youth pastors in that uh, three-hour pre-conference session, and for the very first time, I took them through this experiment in Jesus-centered ministry. And uh, as messy and chaotic and as, as unwell thought out as it was at that stage, at the end of that time, the atmosphere was electric. There was tears in the room. There was a long line of people that stayed afterward to talk to me, and each person, as they came up to talk to me, almost as if they wanted to share a secret with me, said something very similar. They said, you know, I've been in ministry for five years, 10 years, 15 years, whatever it was, and I don't think I ever really knew Jesus before today. And I'd look at them, and I'd have tears in my eyes, too, and I'd I'd say, I know exactly what you mean. So I left that experience just—I I walked out of that room with the electricity still flowing through me because of what had happened there. And then it was like the perfect setup. Wow, that could not have gone better, as messy as that was. Now I don't have any responsibility. I just get to go wherever I want to in the conference, and a lot of the people speaking at the conference were my friends, and um, I'd been around them a long time. Um, and so I could just pop into any breakout I wanted to and sit through the general sessions without any thought that I've I have the tension of being on. And so this was a perfect setup for me. But by the end of that day, just before dinner time, and I had spent the day doing this, I was absolutely gripped by sadness. Um, and I didn't know why. It was like somebody had deflated my soul and I couldn't understand what was going on. It made no sense to me. So I sat in this enormous atrium at Willow Creek. Uh, there's probably 3,000 youth pastors milling around in the atrium. It was, it's just an enormous setting. and But they have these overstuffed chairs sitting in the atrium, and you can kind of lose yourself, you know, be hidden or invisible in a big crowd, and that's what I did. I found an overstuffed chair, and I sat in the middle of this, you know, all of these thousands of people milling around, and I felt really alone, almost like I was in a bubble. And I just sat there trying to understand w- what was happening in me. And so... I had, again, tears in my eyes, and I cried out to Jesus. I, I literally said this out loud in this big, swirling crowd, Jesus, what is happening to me? And it was one of those moments where all of the noise around me just sort of muted all of a sudden, and I, I felt like I heard his voice clearly. And what he said was, Rick, you're ruined for everything but me now. You're ruined for everything but me and all of the sadness, all of the dissonance, all of the disorientation I was feeling, all the tension I was feeling just left my body immediately, because what he was doing was trying to bring my life into congruence. I had been doing something for years that was no longer congruent with the orientation of my soul. And from that point to this point, all I've done in my writing, speaking, editing a magazine, crafting, training experiences for people, leading national conference, all of these things, including this podcast, are infected with the same passion and desire to explore Jesus as if we're all ruined for him, as if our passion for him supersedes every other passion in our life. Not because it's supposed to, because we're good church people, but because we've just been captured in his orbit, and we're forever attracted to him and drawn to him and want to explore him further. That's the point of this whole thing that we're doing here. So if you're kindred to that, or if even if you feel something burn in your soul, as even I'm telling you my story, then you're probably part of our community. (laughs) And if you want to really solidify that uh, part in our community, you can join what we call the Pigs Group. In my book, The Jesus-Centered Life, one of the chapters is called Living a Pig's Life, and it's essentially what it means is that for breakfast— the chicken might offer up an egg for breakfast, but the pig gives everything for breakfast. And so Pigs references what what does it look like to be a person who is all in with Jesus, or wants to be. So we started a Facebook page that's uh, by invitation called The Pigs Page, and it's a community of people, like-minded people, who are all sort of publicly recognizing, I'm all in with Jesus, or I want to be. And if you want to be a part of that community, You'll see, if you go to, to com, you'll see a link at the bottom of the page that uh, in, uh, you can click on to be invited into that private Facebook group. It's a thriving community of people who have a shared passion for Jesus and help each other along the way. They, they uh, post honest questions and offer uh, honest insight along the way. So it really is a thriving community if you want to explore that. So in July... For our last in our month-long run of episodes, we're continuing our exploration of how tender Jesus is with people along the way. We've explored quite a bit on this podcast how Jesus is sometimes tough, and he has a bit of an edge sometimes, all for the sake of loving the person in front of him. But he's also remarkably tender sometimes, because that's what the person that he's trying to engage needs most. Today's our last episode of focusing on the tender aspects of Jesus, and today we're going to look at what I call true family. What does it mean to be invited into a second family? You were born into a family, but Jesus tells us that we're now sons and daughters and brothers and sisters in a new family, if we respond to his invitation. And what does that actually look like? What is the experience of being invited into Jesus' true family really like, and what impact does it make on our lives? I think one of the things that goes deepest in us is a longing for family. If you come from a healthy, close family, uh, that there is a relationship you have with your family that goes deeper than almost anything in your life. You belong. In this deepest of relational experiences that a human being can experience. If you come, uh, more predictably, from a dysfunctional family, a family that has issues, a family that is broken and obviously so, then you're left with a deep, deep longing for something that you've never really experienced in full. And I believe that that longing for belonging in a family is maybe the deepest longing we have as human beings. And uh, I was reminded of this uh, uh, over the weekend. We watched the film Lion. Um, It's been out for a while, um, and my wife has been wanting to watch this film for a long time, but it's the premise of the film, it's based on a true story, the premise of the film seemed intense to me, and usually by the time I hit the weekend, I don't want to watch something intense <laughs> on the weekend. So she'd been advocating to watch Lion for a long time, and I'd been resisting. But uh, finally, I, I put her off too long, <laughs> and we decided to watch it over the weekend. And it's the true story, based on a true story, of a young boy named Saru in India, who uh, one night convinces his older brother to go out with him to try to make money. They, they live a hard scrabble, intensely impoverished existence, where everyone in the family, no matter how old you are, is trying to make money any which way they can. So this young five-year-old boy convinces his much older brother to take him with him one night um, to see if they could go scrounge up um, some labor, some work to do that they could earn a little bit of money. So they take a train, and uh, they stop at a train station, and they get off, and the little boy is so tired he can't move. So the older brother lets him Uh, continue to sleep on a bench at the train station and tells him to stay there while he goes off to find work, and he'll be right back. Well, little Saru wakes up in the morning after sleeping through the night, and there's no brother around, and suddenly he's all alone in a train station in a city he doesn't know, and he doesn't know where his brother is, and so he ends up Uh, climbing on the train that's just sitting there, and while he's looking for his brother, thinking he might have gone onto that train, the train starts to move, and Saru is stuck on that train, because it's a train that's been put out of service, so it's just returning to its home base, so that train will not stop for 2,000 miles. And little Saru, when he finally the doors finally open on the train, he's 2,000 miles away from his home. He doesn't know Um, what his village is actually called, he mispronounces it, so he doesn't know what it's accurately called, and he's alone as a five-year-old boy in Calcutta. And uh, so the film follows his story of him, a very uh, savvy little kid learning to survive on the streets as a five-year-old, and eventually along the way he gets um, through a miraculous series of circumstances, he gets adopted by an Australian couple who live on the island of Tasmania, just off the coast of Australia, and uh, it follows his life as an adopted young Indian boy growing up with Australian parents into his young adulthood, where they, they skip over his adolescence and they skip right into his young adulthood, where he starts to be haunted by his past and wants to find his family again. And this, this in the end, becomes an obsession with him. It's an almost impossible task to figure out where his real home is if you think about a 2,000-mile radius in any direction in India, but he begins a four-year process of trying to find his home again and his family, and he's haunted by the thought that his mother and his brother have been for 20, 25 years. Looking for him and not knowing what happened to him. So the film follows his quest to find his home again. But what's really one of the really many, many aspects of this film that are powerful is the impact of being adopted into a family. The first half an hour or, or maybe 40 minutes of the film is all of Saru's life as a young boy and all of the incredible, ridiculous dangers. That face him and all the decisions he has to make to try to survive, and just overwhelming sense of poverty, uh, homelessness, and lack of belonging that this little boy experiences. Even people that seem like they're there to help him are actually there to victimize him, and he has to figure that out along the way. It is a heartbreaking story, and it's 40 minutes of this, so you get a real sense of what this would have been like to be a little kid in these kinds of circumstances. And then all of a sudden, he's in a car driving through a neighborhood in Tasmania where the people have nice boats sitting out in front of their house that they're washing off before they go put them, put them into the ocean and go fishing for the day. It's just like suddenly landing on the moon for a kid like this. And the story, some of the tension of the story is— the, the incredible upbringing that he's offered by this amazing couple that adopts him, with the tension of wanting to find his, his mom and his brother and his sister, again, just the driving ambition he has to do this. But you see what Saru has been saved into just because he was adopted by this family, and you see all of the kids who were left behind— who will have to cope the rest of their life with their uh, ridiculously brutal um, situation in life. Saru was sort of plucked out of the middle of that chaos and put into a place where he was given every advantage, a college education, the ability to make a living for himself, close, loving uh, friendships, and, and a close, loving family. The, the impact of adoption is remarkable, And if we think about what we're being offered through Jesus, it's adoption into a new family. The one difference with that, compared to the film uh, narrative I just told you, is that when we are plucked out of our chaotic, dark, hopeless situation by a Jesus who is pursuing us, when we are adopted into his family, the Scripture says we are not only adopted, but we are grafted into his family. We actually share the very life of the family of God when we are adopted into his family. We become DNA adoptees. In, uh, in a normal adoption, the adopted child will never have the DNA of his parents, of his new parents, but we do. Jesus says we are branches that abide in the vine, that are grafted into the vine, and we get the very life of that vine flowing through us Creating life and fruit in us, this is the this is the almost unbelievable promise of adoption into the family of uh, into the family of God. I thought I'd mention another film real quick that's uh, on my top five of all time list of films. It's a little film; it's not an epic film. It's called Dan in Real Life. I have talked about this film on the podcast before, but one of the central themes of the film Dan in Real Life is the promise of what a family could look and feel like if it was actually healthy. <laughs> it's one of the few films I've ever seen where the depiction of family is both real and also taps into this deep longing we have to experience what that family experiences. The family depicted in the film is, um, is intensely loving, but also raw, real, admitting of reality. They don't bury stuff under a facade, but they are always for each other. They will get in each other's faces if they need to. If someone's in trouble, they are there for them, no doubt about it. And when somebody is is hurtful or causes pain, there is a way for for relationship to be restored within that family. These family members delight in one another. They they uh, encourage safety and vulnerability in their family system so that people can be their true selves. I mean, I could go on and on. It is, to me, this film and its depiction of family, and most of the film takes place um, around a long weekend that is a family reunion in the summer, where all the family members gather at, at their parents' lakeside um, uh, lakeside home um, it's there's kind of their summer home. It kind of feels like a really large cabin in the woods. They all gather there for a long weekend, and you get to see how all of the family members interact. It is a picture of heaven to me on, on some level, just the promise of what we all long for. And that longing, relative to our adoption, is, is constant with us. I mean, it sort of pulls us forward into what our future will be. So when we think about our invitation into true family, I have to maybe backtrack here and think about, well, what kind of family did Jesus grow up in? Did he grow up in a normal family? So it's hard to say, because we don't get a lot of data on what his family life was like. But going back even further, the fact that that God is three in one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, means that all of creation was birthed out of family. All of creation was birthed out of community. That there is no singular in the mind and heart of God, it's always community. And so Jesus comes to earth, fully God, fully human, sent forth from a family, and eventually going back to his family. And The going back to his family, what he promises his disciples, and by extension us, is that eventually we're going to be invited back to his family home, to his cabin in the woods, where we're going to get to live in that family. So everything in the created world is a parable. Um, That's what uh, Paul says in the first chapter of Romans, that all created things... Are embedded with the personality and characteristics of God, and that means families are also a parable. We are placed in families, broken as they are in this broken world, as a hint as to what the truth about God and the truth about our reality really is. What if God places us into families as a parable to help us understand some of what living in the family of God will be like? It's hard to see it sometimes, especially if you're from a really broken family. Um, But what if our family is intended to be uh, a parable for living in community with God? So we're talking about true family, and on the way to the Simply Jesus gathering in the mountains of Colorado, after I'd recorded this entire podcast, um, I couldn't get it out of my mind on the way that was something about the podcast that I recorded from this point forward that wasn't what I wanted to do and I didn't know what to do about it because it was already done and so I said you know Jesus if I meet somebody at simply Jesus that happens to fit exactly the theme of Jesus and true family then I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna do an interview with them and chunk out the part that I really didn't like and put this part in. So that's what I did. With Eureka, I happened to sit next to someone at breakfast this morning that I met for the first time, whose story so much dovetails into this conversation about Jesus and true family that I knew this must be Jesus. So <laughs> I'd like to introduce you to Charles. I'm going to have him actually introduce himself and tell a little bit about himself, and then we'll talk about true family and Charles's experience of that in his life.
1: Well, um All right, so let me try to introduce myself. Um, My name is Charles, and um, I'm married to um, Leslie for 34 years, and we adopted a daughter. Um, I'm a member of the Bruderhof community. That's an intentional Christian community. We hold everything in common like the early Christians, and we try to live on the basis of the Sermon on the Mount with Jesus at the center. Um, Now, we joined this community Um, when uh, we were already married for several years um, from Colorado. Um, I went to Denver Seminary and later came back and taught at Denver Seminary for almost 10 years. Um, We were a part of an intentional Christian community in in Colorado as well. And um, it was part of our um, search to um, find what it meant to be the church together. And um, what did it mean when Jesus um, wanted us to be brothers and sisters in his name? And uh, so that's a bit about who I am and and, uh, what I'm about.
0: And uh, you do have a last name. Your last name is Moore. Correct. So we can get you, uh, so if anyone wants to look up Charles Moore and figure out about him, but that might actually be difficult because part of your life and community is uh, that it's, it, it's sort of a self-contained community in some ways, right? You do a lot of things together. Mm-hmm. And, and you said something this morning I thought was interesting. Even with kids that are in the community, um, you're not exactly promoting uh, things like getting on social media and having smartphones for those kids. You are trying to maintain your sense of community. So mm-hmm. are you actually even on Facebook and things like this yourself? Oh.
1: Uh, yes, well, I, I don't I'm not on Facebook, but um, I, I do blog. We have a, a website um, a, a, if you just look under bruderhoff.com. Um, I also assist in our publishing house and I do a lot of writing. Um, so we are not a removed exclusive community. Um, we are integrated in uh, with our neighbors. Um, and um, you know we we're not trying to, protect our children from the world mm-hmm. we're really trying to disciple them um as kingdom citizens what does it mean to seek first the kingdom of god in every area of life and that's our ultimate allegiance our, my ultimate le- allegiance is to jesus and his kingdom and that's why i live in community my my allegiance isn't to the church or the community but we seek to live that out together um and we see there's a lot of problems um that actually um, splinter, fracture um, the, the church with real re- repercussions on the family, um, where families can't even be families anymore um, because of the splintering effects, not just of social media, but the values of our society. So um, it's, it's an attempt to, to see that Jesus um, has his way in the family Um, but through a greater family, which is the church.
0: Yeah, and that's what I'd like to to focus on, what that greater family is like. And we know that Jesus, you know, obviously himself came from a family, and we know a little bit about his early life with his family. Not a lot, though. Uh, We have him in the temple when he's 12, and his parents don't know he stayed back, and he seems surprised that they would have to find him in the temple. And we see some other things, but they're... So the, the reason we call this Jesus and True Family is because Jesus had a very interesting perspective and relationship with our what I might call our DNA family, family you're born into. He valued that family, of course, but he also valued a greater family to the extent that he, the way he talked about that greater family is he talked about that as a truer family mm-hmm. than actually the one we're born into. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit about this progression from what you might call a normal life, you're teaching at the seminary, yeah. to starting to be captured by uh, a reality, a bigger reality about this greater family. And then, uh, so I'd like you to talk a little bit about, well, what was that progression for you like toward that greater family? Hmm. And then what is that family life like, actually, in real practice?
1: Okay, so, so uh, boy, that's that's gonna be uh, hard. Well, let, let, let's backtrack. Okay, so I, when I became a Christian, Um, I knew that Jesus had to be number one and one of the first implications was is that um, he was going to be higher than my family as a single I was young and uh, which eventually led me to travel a thousand miles away from my family because that's where I felt that he was leading me to to Colorado originally from California and that was hard on my family that was hard on my parents Um, and then when um, I married uh, my wife and I knew that that Christ had to be higher. Um, in fact, that's who Jesus Hi, higher than your marriage, higher than my uh, than our marriage. Mm-hmm. That um, uh, we were accountable to to Him, and um, so anything that got in the way of discipleship, um, uh, we we had to we had to reconsider. Um, and so uh, as we were exploring, we, we saw you know well jesus actually talked a lot about leaving um and and leaving not just um uh the worldly spirit of let's say greed or immorality and that kind of thing he talked about you have to leave your family uh in fact he used pretty strong terms uh and unless you hate your father and mother all right uh you cannot be one of my followers um, Jesus talked about who is my my uh, mother, my brothers, and my sisters? Only those who do the will of God. Uh, Jesus's reference point was higher than the family. And in a culture,
0: uh, especially Christian culture, sort of formed by a focus on the family, sort of mentality, where really family trumps everything. To hear Jesus say you must hate your 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 mother and father, and of course he was he was speaking of this comparatively so he was saying in, in comparison to how you relate to me it's got to look like like you hate your family that that that's the thing i'm going after yeah. i want a depth of intimacy that would make the connection to your family look so below what we have that that's what it would look like it would look that extreme
1: it doesn't compare is what he's really saying he doesn't say it's not of a value but it's you can't even compare it Um, and uh, you know that was radical back then in a Jewish culture that was based on family and extended family Uh, there's a higher allegiance and that is the kingdom of God the rule and reign of God Uh, so what does that look like in practice Uh, for for my wife and I when when we uh, were led to um, the Bruderhof community our highest allegiance is to Christ in his kingdom the second highest allegiance is to our new family mm. to brothers and sisters in the faith who are seeking to do the will of God only then does the natural family come that the natural family is assumed under those two um, the the priority of Jesus and the and the the kingdom and the church family uh, and So, you know, what we have found is that actually because we are together with other families, in a greater family, we do family better. Hmm. How so? Okay, so um, one, um, we're actually responsible one for another. It's not just my wife and I responsible for my family and no one interferes, or only when we feel like we need help. Um, We'll go ask for it. We can have families point things out to us saying, hey, you're not getting it right here or Charles, why are you so impatient with your wife or um, You know, it looks like you need a little help with your younger child So so so, so far to
0: normal American ears This doesn't sound so good like other people up in your business here. So and you started all this by saying we actually do family better. we We like it better this way.
1: It, if it's it's only better, but it's a gift. Doesn't mean it's always easy. okay? It can be hard on the pride, on the flesh. What are you telling me what to do? and so forth. But I have so many blind spots, um, and I'm a very weak person. I grew up in a dysfunctional family. Um, I need others to help who have a lot more experience, people who've gone and and and, and raised children or teenagers or whatever. I value their insights. It's not that they're trying to make my family like theirs. It's more like, hey, coming alongside uh, with an arm around the shoulder and say, hey, you know, you might wanna be aware of, of, of this, um, or you might wanna do some things differently, or this may help. Uh, you know, that there's a security in that. I'm not just on my own. I don't have to just go read a book somewhere or read some advice by some anonymous person that I really don't know on online. Here's somebody who can commiserate with me or saying, hey, I know what you're going through. Um, th- that is a commitment to see, though, Jesus remains center in my family. is the Jesus Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, being exemplified in my marriage and in my family. And if it's being hindered, I have other brothers and sisters who can come and help me. Mm-hmm. It's not because they're family experts, but they want to see Jesus and his Spirit exemplified. I need help with that, otherwise I just bring myself, my wife brings herself, and we're just all on our own, and we can get some mileage out of that, but we have gotten so much more mileage because we are part of a group of families that um, that actually were pledged to serve and help one another to live more like Christ.
0: So what is what are some of the pragmatic outcomes of going to this extent mm-hmm. where Uh, what you did was embrace this deeper reality that Jesus is talking about. Even on the cross, he, he looks at Mary and says, hey, John's your son now. And he looks at John and says, hey, John, now she's your mom from this point forward. So he's messing with normal family structures all the time. He's suggesting, and sometimes in this case, he's basically commanding that a new family structure exist with people that he loves because he's he's trying to help us to lean into not just a a greater reality, but even greater joy. Mm. So what would you say are some of the the joys you've experienced in this life that you think maybe a lot of what you would say conventional families may not have ever been able to experience because of the kind of community that you live in with a, a greater family?
1: Well, first of all, um, I'm just not on my own, um, I, I feel like um, I belong to something greater. I think another joy is knowing that my children, my, my one daughter, um, has others as a reference point besides the two of us and we're very faulty human beings. Um, she can see other families and there's a model there, um, other husbands and wives modeling, um, trying to. to to follow Christ maybe in in a little different way Um, I'm not I don't have to be the perfect parent my wife does not have to be the perfect wife Um, I think that there's a real freedom and joy in that Um, I think that some of the unconventional kinds of things because we live in uh, a very uh, close community is uh, let me give you an illustration when uh, when um, a a mother gives birth um, she's at home with that child uh, for six weeks, generally. It's not a law, but around six weeks. And she has full support to simply be at home with that child. But, you know, she's not just relegated to the home because when that child's old enough, six weeks, seven weeks, she brings her to the daycare. And uh, she can begin to be reintegrated into the life of the community. She's not just stuck at home she can continue to contribute in ways um, that she had before. Maybe she works in the office, or she helps in the community kitchen, or in one of our businesses. She's not just left alone. She, She is a mom, but she's not just a mother. She's more than a mother. She's a sister in the community who can contribute, and she's not just building up her own nest at home, but she can help contribute to something that's greater than her own family. And I believe that that's, you know, very uh, meaningful and joyful that one can do something beyond just what uh, one naturally or um, organically, you know, would do. Uh, As a a husband, um, uh, I have the the chance to lead my family to something greater than just the health of our own little small uh, clan. That there's something much more important than um you know our own economic security our own home life um the the things that we like to do we can serve others beyond our family um and and that is part of the the call of discipleship so
0: so for those who are never going to live in a Bruderhof community mm-hmm. uh, let's say that someone was let's take it a different way let's say someone was interested in what everyday life might look like and how it would be different. Things like, well, how, how do you earn a living? And how do you, um, how do you save for retirement? And um, what happens with health care? Mm-hmm. And all of these sort of everyday concerns that a typical family has. Maybe you could describe to that person yeah. what, how, uh, some of the pragmatic differences in your life in community.
1: Well, I'm glad you asked that question because, you know, um, the disciples came to Jesus and said, hey, we've left everything. And Jesus said, unless you leave father, mother, fields and in your work and so forth, um, you can't be to my my disciple. But if you do follow me, you're going to gain all that in tenfold. OK, mm. so what is he saying? There's going to be this new family. So our security is one another. I don't have to worry about um, retirement. And if, have I saved enough? My retirement are my brothers and sisters. I don't have to worry about whether or not I'm gonna be nursed at at, when I get too old my brothers and sisters in Christ are gonna be there for me so you know pragmatically uh, because we share everything in common I don't have to worry about putting away enough from uh, for when I can't work I've invested my life in a way of sharing already that is going to continue Lord willing when i can't work because there's something more important than work there's something more important than the family Um, there's something more important than my health it's called the body of christ jesus coming and ministering in and through brothers and sisters it's called the beloved community Uh, it's where love can be sustained and and that's what so much of the world lacks is is their love at the end of life can I love and am I going to be loved? Many people are taken care of financially at the end of their life and live terrible lives uh, because they're starving for human relationship and love. That is something that transcends the, the natural family. Uh, that's very, very limited. The natural family, uh, the nuclear family can only do so much. The, bi- the greater body of Christ can, can do so much more. Um, so I'm not afraid of of when I get too old or when I can't you know contribute um, you know to uh, making a, a living. Um, there'll be other work for for me to do, um, spiritual work, or other kinds of ways I can serve my brothers and sisters.
0: How do you think children growing up in this environment experience life um, differently? I mean, know mm-hmm. obvi- there's some obvious reasons but what uh, uh, obvious examples of how they're different that the experience life differently but what I mean is how do, how are they being formed differently in this environment what do you notice that's different well uh,
1: uh, one obvious thing is that when I was growing up uh, I just was I, I was not around old people my, my grandparents I saw occasionally um, they were shunted away. They were uh, you know the brunt of jokes. I didn't relate uh, to older people, for instance. Um, in our community our our children grow up in an integrated community so uh, some grandma might might come in once a day to to read stories to give the teacher a break and they have an old grandma there reading stories um, they uh, if, if a teenager is working in the community kitchen, she'll be working right alongside, or he, um, an, an older person. Um, so their world is an integrated world, and all are valued. They don't see that old people are funny because they're old. Now, they, they are funny, but teenagers can be funny, and children can be funny, and, um, but they're not classified as that's the funny generation, or the useless generation. So they grow up with um, a a sense of um, a, a much w- um, I guess a much more I- integrated uh, community life where really all are valued and and can and can contribute and there's no one age period that is better than the other youth is not more prized uh, than some other age group and I find that. Uh, wonderful because uh, then we get the wisdom and the gifts and the beauty and the contributions of all ages. Mm.
0: So your identity was being formed for a long time um, in your relationship with Jesus before you joined this community. How would you say the formation of your identity has been impacted by your experience of living in true family?
1: That's a great question because I think as a white um, male, educated, your identity uh, is so often about uh, your title or what you can uh, make in terms of money or your position. It has to do with your employment, your work, and so forth. Um, And uh, coming into a community when you are valued because you are a brother in Christ. And we make a commitment uh, in our community to serve, serve wherever is needed, and there's plenty of ways to do that. You don't have to have a title. You don't have to have uh, education. Um, but it's great if you do. Uh, it's great if you have certain experience. So I'm valued for who I am in Christ. I don't have to measure up to any standard set by the marketplace or social sta- standard by you know what kind of uh, job I have or position. And that's very, very freeing. Now, there is the flesh. You know, we want to get our identity in other things um, besides in Christ and as one who is beloved by other brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, the ego gets in the way, but by and large, knowing that I have others that are not predicate, you know, uh, hanging their worth on, on something that you're able to do or accomplish or produce uh, I, I find very freeing. So last
0: question for you. We've spent this whole uh, month of July sort of leaning into paying ridiculous attention to the, the tenderness of Jesus and in many different facets. And true family is another aspect of his invitation of tenderness to us because we uh, I started this podcast by talking about we all have a deep, deep longing to belong in a family that sees us, delights in us, has our back, we know that we know that we know that they're for us, Mm -hmm. that we can be fully ourselves because we feel fully safe within that environment. And so many people have this aching longing for this, and yet they don't even come close to experiencing what that's like in, in their everyday life whether they have come from a dysfunctional family or not, we are all left with this deep longing to be a part of something great, to be invited in. And so Jesus, in, in his upsetting of the apple cart around family, he's really trying to make a way for us to be invited into the very longing we've always had. How have you experienced that tender invitation for you, This very same longing that you have mm-hmm. to be a part of a, of a family where you can be all of these things that I've mentioned. We're all human beings, they're broken. This is, I know this all doesn't work perfectly, but how has mm-hmm. this life in this kind of community tapped into that longing for you?
1: Well, one thing that comes to immediately to, to mind, um, my wife Leslie and I have, have traveled quite a bit for our community, and since we've had a small family, uh, our daughter, Brienne. Um, has often been without us Um, so um, we've had the complete security um, being able to leave her uh, even early on and various points in her life with different families and uh, it's not uh, she's 17 now and recently she said you know you know I have such a big family I have such a big family and nothing can replace the, the love that we have one for another as, as a nuclear family. But she is secure that she knows that she has the other brothers and sisters whom she has been taken care of. Uh, you know, we've been gone at weeks at a time, and she just has been taken into a, another family. And she feels secure in that. Um, it's not the same as the nuclear family, but there's something greater. And it points her to something greater. And that we could not teach her, we could only have her experience that, and it makes has made my wife and I also feel like wow, my daughter is wanted. It's not just that we want her, mm-hmm. and think she's special. There are others who have taken her in and included her into their family, um, and and it makes, uh, you know, gosh, how se- that that's just so secure. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not all perfect. We're all fallen human beings. We make mistakes. Other families in our community makes mistakes. She hasn't always had the best experience. She's been misunderstood. She come when we come home from a trip. She has to process things out. But in all of that, she has felt loved. Mm. She has felt fundamental love. And if for some reason there was, uh, you know, we had to, you know, we got killed in a car accident or something like that. She would be secure. She would not be alone. Hmm.
0: I, just just to close this time with you, the thing that struck me about what you just said is the word wanted. I think that the word wanted is really at the core of our deepest longing to belong. We want to be wanted, and we're, we suspect that we never will be wanted to the degree that, that our heart longs for. And Here Jesus is trying to make a way for us to actually be, Feel and experience being wanted at a level beyond just your, your the birth family that you that you grew up in, but to be wanted by a larger community, to tap into the heart's deepest longing, to get a sense that i not only I not only belong here, but I'm enjoyed here. Mm. That the belonging goes deeper than just I'm supposed to be here.
1: Yeah, the body of Christ actually is um, the vessel that Jesus uses to affirm the fundamental fact that he loves us. And so when the body can also say you are loved, and not just by word, but by deed, we want you. Um, In concrete, you know, everyday life, that's pretty powerful. That affirms and confirms what we know from what Jesus said on the cross to us so again this this uh, larger spiritual family this family called church is a true gift but we also have to be willing to let go of our own autonomy and the and, and our own little kingdoms including our own little nuclear family kingdom to really experience the fullness of that
0: charles moore thank you so much for uh, telling your story mm-hmm. to us
1: thank you thank you for uh letting me uh, share.
0: Well gang, that's it. Um, if you want more information or links to any of the things we've talked about today, you can go to com, and you're going to look for Season 3, Episode 31. We'll put a, a link to both Lion and Dan in Real Life there, so you can go check those out on IMBD or something. And uh, I encourage you to, to watch these films and think about yourself as adopted into a true family as you watch. And if you want to uh, find out any other information, or make sure that you get every one of these podcasts in your feed, you can also go to iTunes or Google Play and uh, subscribe to Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus to make sure you don't miss an episode. We'll see you then.